Hi, my name is Franklin, um, aka the King of Trainers, and this is a return to the Aless Together With podcast. And to kick things off, I have a very, very, very special guest, a real legend in the game, um, a real pioneer, someone who has turned um, a passion into literally the biggest uh, magazine in the world in the sneaker culture. Um, the very own one and only Woody. How, how are we doing, sir? Good, yeah, appreciate the kind words. I, how many did I get? Three berries or four? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll go back. Okay, okay, okay. So this is um, um, the the Aless uh, together with podcast. Um, but what we're going to do is not really, we're not going to just talk about a list. We're going to talk about a, a number of things. Um, and I want to really kind of start from the beginning um, of your journey in um, the publishing world. Um, so how did, what were you doing before Sneak Freak and how did Sneak Freak start? Well, before Sneak Freak, I'd done a lot of different creative jobs, I suppose. When I was at university, I kind of had gone down, you know, a fair way down the path of becoming um, part of the radio industry. So sound production, I was presenting shows on commercial radio and on community radio. So, you know, they were really different, but I was, you know, I'd done all the training and, you know, I had jobs set up and, and then one day I walked past, uh, at university, I walked past uh, one of the offices and I saw the Apple computer for the first time. And I just walked straight in and I was like, what's, you know, what is this thing? I mean, it's hard to imagine now that, you know, before that, you know, a computer like that didn't really exist. It's in Commodore 64s. Mm. <laughs> it's going to sound really ancient when we talk about this stuff, but, mm. um, and that was the first time I saw Quark Express, which is mm-hmm. the program. Quark. Yeah, no, Quark. Before inside, but it was, it was what, uh, if you wanted to do a magazine, that's what you used. That's so what you used, Quark. I'm, I learned right away. Quark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was probably one of the most loyal Quark Express people right to the end. <laughs> and eventually I had to admit that in design, just, yeah. <laughs> it was taken over and it was time to uh, upgrade. But uh, mm. yeah, I mean, that, that moment in particular, I mean, I could still remember it. It's, uh, you know, I just ch- totally changed what I wanted to do. So I taught myself to be a graphic designer, but mm. um, I also like writing. Um, I worked in London in advertising for th- four years. Oh, oh okay. And back to came back to Melbourne and stayed in advertising, got fed up with that, went into fashion, um, managing advertising and doing a lot of design work. So I always like kind of doing more than one thing. Um, Mm. And I find that I sort of, you know, if it's just too repetitious, it's, uh, you know, I get a little bit bored. So I jumped into the film ministry for a while and worked on some big Hollywood films that were made here in Australia, mostly. And, you know, I just jumped from thing to thing. I had t-shirt labels, I did all sorts of stuff. And then, one day I thought, man, I've got to get some free shoes. This is driving me nuts. <laughs> and also, uh, so the, the dream started to uh, start a magazine about sneakers. Mm. And mm. at that stage, I didn't know anyone who was really into it because there was no way really to connect. I think, I think Crooked was probably going yes. maybe just by that, by yeah. that time. Nike yeah. Talk as well. But, you know, uh, 56K modem dial-up. It was so slow mm. going on to any of the forums or doing anything. It's a different, it was a different online experience then. And I think there was fixins in the, U, the US as well, which was like San Diego. Mm. Um, but I thought I'll start a magazine. Okay. And at that time, you know, in Melbourne, Melbourne had a strong uh, history of mag- free magazines. <clears throat> you know, if you went into a clothes store, there were probably five of them. 
So you know, it seemed like a pretty sensible thing to do to start a magazine. So I did. And two weeks later, the first issue came out. So two weeks. If you've anyone, that was very quick. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, if anyone who's got issue one, which actually go on eBay for hundreds of dollars now because it's wow. by far the rarest mm-hmm. a magazine we ever put out. Mm. Um, you know, it was pretty raw. It was pretty fanziny, and you know, I wasn't trying to pretend that I was part of a big corporation or something. I wasn't trying mm. to look like a proper magazine. Mm. I love fanzines that love punk music or yeah. terrace culture or you know whatever it is. Like mm. to have a very narrow focus and. Pretty much it went nuts right from sort of day one. You know, we had a party. I think 400 people came and I didn't know anyone. So, <laughs> wow. And, you know, people don't understand how connected things are between mm. all the social channels, between all the different ways you have to stay in touch with news. At that time, none of that, none of that apparatus existed. Mm. So, yeah, it was an exciting time. Yeah, no. Wow, that's two weeks. <laughs> that is crazy. That is crazy. But that was, I mean, that was 2002. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, even to do something that quickly back then, it, it does take a lot of passion, you know, so I, I can definitely see that. Because, I mean, I tried to start, like, King, the, my original website in, like, 99, and I just didn't know what I was doing, and I, I took me forever, you know. And now, you know, 20 years later, I'm, I'm now starting to really get somewhere. So it just goes to show the, the, the time it takes. So how have you, um, how has things been in terms of, like, um, the trials and tribulations of, of a, a print publication because you kind of launched a print publication at the same time as the emergence of the internet. So how did you find that? Well, it depends what type of magazine you want to be. I mean, um, I'd rather appeal to a small audience that loves what you do and is really engaged with it. I think, you know, a general music magazine or even a general fashion magazine is really tough because, you know, where's the real emotional pull to actually you know to feel like you're part of it so i think with sneaker freaker you know you can identify with the mindset of the people that love our magazine because we are we are those people ourselves and not just for me but the team who work on it um becoming a global magazine was a challenge as well because we're still still doing it from australia so we now print in europe which has helped but just trying to distribute the magazine is actually the biggest challenge at the moment so you know it's got harder and harder with stores um Borders, when borders closed, you know, that was, a, that was a bit of a blow to us because it, we lost a lot of distribution in the UK okay. and the US. And I think it's a similar thing to music. You know, once, um, you know, once music was easily paid for and consumed online, you know, through all the channels, um, you know, everything seemed to settle down. But with magazines, there's no substitute between a, the actual paper manifestation of it versus the iPad it's true. version. We had an iPad magazine for about two years. Okay. And actually, as a product, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, the photos look amazing. Mm. The depth, the clarity, and everything looks great. We yeah. had bits of video in there. Uh, we think we had like eighty or 90,000 downloads when it was free. Oh, wow. And then as, soon as, we, as soon as we made it $2.50, people just didn't want to spend. So, oh. you know, there was a... Uh, and then the company we were working with went bust, and we lost all our data storage and everything. So, and we haven't really had anyone ask about it since. So, for me, I love making... I love making stuff mm. and writing blogs all day. You know, we have a team of people who do it, but that's not as satisfying as putting a lot of thought into something and creating a magazine over, you know, three yeah. or four months period. Same with the books we made. You know, we've written a lot of books. Yes. Those things are satisfying and they, they stand the test of time. They're, mm. they're here permanently. 
Um, and they're a reference point. People always go back to them and use them for information or, or knowledge. Indeed. So, so the challenges remain for print. I think, you know, we're committed to it. We've got a lot of support from the brands, from our, from our audience that love the magazine. Um, and we've just got to keep working through the issues as they as they pop up and find solutions. Mm, yeah. No. Well done, man. I mean, because I know I know print is very difficult. I mean, what a lot of people don't know about me is is I I, I studied graphic design. Um, you know, I've got a graphic design degree, and I, I had a small graphic design company like many many years ago. And uh, print it was it's tough now because I started I was doing flyer design and things like that. And um, now everyone just just does an e flyer and then you know, post it out, you know, so to, to really stand the test of time. And I mean, I think Sneaker Free Car, if I'm correct, started distributing in the UK from issue, was it three or five? I'm not sure. I think it's uh, three or four, yeah. Size, four. size was one of the first yes. um, yeah. that really supported. The yeah. first international store we had was Colette in Paris, oh. and that was issue two. Okay, well. Um, they, they emailed us and said, hey, we'd love to buy the magazine. Um, I didn't know who they were. I'd never <laughs> heard of the store. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they probably are the, or were the coolest store ever. Mm. Um, and, you know, much loved and sadly, you know, they, mm. they um, made the decision to close down a few years ago. So, mm. um, and they were, they were big supporters of Sneaker Freaker right through. We had a launch there mm. um, eventually. So, yeah, the UK uh, was definitely, uh, our relationship with size was really strong then. And, yes. um, um, but again, you know, I had to learn about international shipping and trying to make it cost effective to, to send magazines from one place to the other. And as nuts as it is, we still send a lot of magazines by air from place mm. to place. Okay. Shipping is cost effective, but it's really slow. Yeah. And we want the magazine to get to its audience as quickly as possible. So Indeed. these are just, yeah, the endless challenges of running a very complex business from the end of the world, which is... Yeah where we are right now <laughs> yeah and i mean you know it's, it's funny because until i started reading sneaker freaker in the early oos i didn't really know that there was a sneaker scene out like i knew there was us because i, I kind of that's where i used to go a lot but in australia i didn't know how passionate you guys were if i'm honest i didn't like as soon as i started reading i was like what australia like <laughs> what's going on you know so it's um it just goes to show that your magazine opened a lot of eyes including mine about what you guys were, were up to you know yeah, I think it's, I mean, Australian scene is, you know, I think it's the same scale as other places, just that we are very small. You know, there's only 25 million people here. Um, it's very much based in Melbourne. There's a few reasons for that. Um, you know, we don't have a surf culture here in Melbourne. You can, you can go surfing an hour and a half here, but if you're in Sydney, you know, a lot of people just spend most of their time at the beach, um, socialising and surfing. And in Melbourne, you know, we have four proper seasons. It's more fashion driven city um also the industries here nike adidas puma new balance are all based in melbourne so gotcha. we're really lucky you know it would have been a bigger challenge if uh, if all those brands were based in sydney gotcha um and the you know one of the one of the great things that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore is the sneaker freak forum oh, and yeah. uh yes uh, for a long time uh you know that was sort of the glue that held the melbourne community together and it was a way Pre, I mean, obviously Facebook and Instagram sort of were the nails in the coffin for uh, forum software. But we, I mean, we tried to upgrade it as recently as three years ago and mm. the software just wasn't able to, we just wasn't able to keep it going. Yeah. Um, but part of the process of putting that to bed was, you know, a lot of the kids who started on that site when they were quite young, 
mm-hmm. sort of, you know, told me how important and integral it was to their, you know, being a teenager, this, the mechanism of being able to communicate yeah. with people and, and sort of get a bit of learning from some of the old grey beards on there and mm-hmm. how, to, how to sort of hold yourself and conduct an argument. And, you know, a lot of the kids that came out of that scene started brands um, or joined or joined Nike and Adidas and became part of the industry officially. And I'm sure Crooked Tongues would have been the same. Indeed. So, you know, they create, they create these little incubators of, of people that kind of can find each other. And, you know, that's one of the, the shames that's been lost with the death of the forum. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, indeed. Um, and, I mean, speaking of that, because I definitely feel that, like, your magazine is the Bible magazine of the sneaker world. And I know you've heard that before. How did it feel the first time you heard that type of statement? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously good for, the, for, your, for your ego and it's good <laughs> for your sense of sort of self-worth. But uh, I guess, um, you know, like I, I would love to be a musician and make an album, but then I think I'd just be one of a million people putting out music. But I'm kind of the only guy that started a proper magazine about footwear. So you're in a weird position where, you know, it's still, still, and I don't think anyone's starting in one soon, but at various different times, I mean, I think Shoes Up just closed down in France, actually. Someone's oh, really? Oh, Cut that out, that's not true, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we'll check um, it. You know, a few different people have tried it over the years, and it is a hard business because Very. The brands are quite difficult to deal with, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, you've got all the, all the challenges that we just talked about. So um, it was, uh, it was, um, yeah, I guess it's, uh, you know, we've been around since 2002, so we're coming up for 20 years. And yeah, wow. one, of the, one of the amazing things about it is, you know, I've had people join the staff who are quite young, you know, 20, 23, and some of them say, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember Sneak Frigger. And for them, it's, it's been around for nearly their whole life. Whole lives, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of them say, oh, yeah, I remember when I was 10 or 11 and I saw it, you yeah. know, their older brother gave it to them or whatever. Yeah. So it's quite, you know, it's just amazing to have that sort of longevity and, Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of different things and I certainly never thought that, you know, 18 and 19 years later would still be writing about shoes and getting, like you said, I'm still working on my craft. I'm still yeah. I'm working to be a better writer and I still take photos. Mm-hmm. We do the collaborations. There's so much stuff we haven't done yet, but, yeah. um, and, and it's funny to look back on stuff that you did 10 or 15 years ago and see how raw it was, you know, we've come a long way creatively and professionally. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of the team we've got here. We're all working out off at the moment trying to get through this period yeah. and um, seeing how we can reinvent ourselves along with the rest of the industry good stuff good stuff no um, and and how has it been through this period like you know um, for you guys the COVID period well we're um australia's had a different strategy to the us and the uk um we are able to close the border here fairly quickly and you know it's depends how you look at it um you know our numbers uh uh, incredible, I think, in terms of what the government's been able to do. Mm. Uh, I think we've so far had around 120 deaths, which um, will probably amaze people if you know mm. you see the numbers that's, from the US yeah. compared to the UK. That is, that's yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, it's one of the great things about being an island a long way away, I suppose, is that mm. they're able to effectively shut the border. So, um, but yeah, from a from a business point of view, it's been really difficult. Um, you know, we saw a lot of stuff just grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. And we spent spent the first couple of months just trying to talk to people and see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's happening. And it just, at that point, it was almost like nothing could happen because there's no way you could launch a shoe or try and make a big fuss out of something because it was yeah. just, 
it would seem wrong uncouth circumstances i guess Mm -hmm. and now we're starting to see you know the green shoots appear Mm. Um, but we'll see you know i think a lot of stuff there were a lot of projects that we'd started and some we hadn't even started yet that will be put off till next year Mm. um uh, and that's so we've got to get through to that period we're lucky we've got the support of some government grants here that's we've been able to keep all our team together yeah and uh you know, we, we said right from the start, we didn't want to lose anyone and we haven't so far. Um, but, you know, and I, I think in a way the industry needed a bit of a reset. Hopefully, you know, perhaps not one as dramatic and as, and as um, disastrous as this one, but there were a lot, you know, too many stores, too much product. And, mm. you know, I think for the industry itself to sort of sure. have a moment of reflection and just caught, you know, a bit of a quiet time to think. I know there's a lot of work being done you know, there was product releases delayed, there's supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. The average kid who's just thinking about whether they can buy a nice pair of shoes, mm-hmm. they don't really understand the complexities of what's happening to these big companies. I mean, there's a lot of product unsold. Oh, tough. A lot of things stuck in warehouses, yeah. uh, you know, filled for the stores. And then, of course, we had the period in the US where a lot of stores were looted and burned out. Mm-hmm. So I really feel for, you know, our American clients that, um, you know, lost their livelihood for a period. So it's just been one thing after the other this year. And yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we can get some stability back as we, yeah. you know, no, get to indeed. the end of the year. Indeed. Well, let's talk about something very more exciting, collaborations. So how did the collaborations come about? Because I, I know like with brands, they're very uh, picky on who they collaborate with, you know, and you guys being like uh, not an athlete, not a celebrity, but a magazine. How did, how did that come about? Well, the first, uh, well, I guess in the early period, I mean, it seemed like if you didn't do a collab, you went a somebody. So yeah. we were desperate. We were desperate to do one. And I remember when Nike ID started, you kind of saw, uh, and I watched people who hadn't had a lot of experience designing shoes. And really, I don't call collaborations designing shoes because you're really just picking colors and, and textures and materials. So it's mm. more like a stylist job. But yeah. we were desperate. You know, I mean, that early period was all about dunks especially mm-hmm. with uh, SB and those killer releases. And it just seemed like there was no, I didn't understand. And I've been asked this question a lot too. I didn't understand how you got a collab. collab. Mm, yeah. Really the best way to do it was to go and uh, have a meeting and then go out afterwards and, and have a beer with someone. And then somehow the conversation would come up. And yeah. That's pretty much how they mostly happened. But um, at that time, I mean, I was traveling a lot. So I was constantly in Portland, Boston, mm-hmm. London. Mm. Uh, I was always going to bread and butter to the trade shows when they came about. Um, but I just didn't know how to ask for one. I didn't want to look too desperate. But really, <laughs> I was desperate because yeah. I felt like we weren't, we weren't like a, yeah, we weren't a real player in the mm. industry, I suppose, mm. until we broken our cherry. So mm. the first one was, was with Lacoste. Lacoste, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Missouri 85. And I feel like we did a good job and we, you know, it was an interesting shoe. It was an off, you know, probably probably a left field choice at the time. Um, but yeah, but it had a sort of a cross trainer strap and mm. like a good shape for them. So, um, and we just did a pretty simple sort of job mm. and uh, no special packaging, but we launched it at A-Life mm. in the courtyard at the back. And we had a really like an amazing week to be in New York and finally do our first collaboration. And oh. since then, I think we've done 30 something shoes. Wow. Um, and I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, four colorways in one pack or yes. different things. And um, 
I think in general we've tried to have you know maintain a bit of a sense of humor and mm. try to do something that hasn't been done before either yeah. the packaging or with the the materials the shark skin pumas that we did are probably mm. still like one of the most amazing yeah, kind of projects and I think probably um, is a shoe that a lot of people remember there's only about 30 pairs mm. and the brands have now said they won't use exotic materials so wow. so that's even more we won't see we probably won't see that start you know that type of shoe done again in the future with with leathers like that i mean it's only the customizers now who are using python and mm. um various different animal skins oh wow um, so yeah it's uh it's like it's one of the most fun parts of of being sneaker freaker but it's also could be one of the most stressful because you're often working on a two-year timeline mm. um and when you start if you have to think ahead two years of what might happen along that way yeah. with the colorway or with you know the direction of shoes or the brands yeah. there's so many things that go wrong you're never in control of it yourself because you're you're working with the brands mm-hmm. um you know there's a lot of stress and a lot of kind of anxiety yeah and then all of a sudden it comes out and everyone loves it you get a great job you just get it's, an, it's still a, one of the best feelings ever and i know when i start getting emails from people desperate to get a hookup mm-hmm. you know you did a good job so yeah. Yeah. so well, well, well done, man. I have to, I have to take my hat off to you because some of your collaborations are absolutely amazing, and like I, like anyone in the the, the footwear game as a consumer or a personality or a, that is the ultimate dream to have your collaboration. Do you get what I mean? Like, and and uh, you know what what's happened recently with myself and Aless. You know, my shoe finally is actually going to come out. That for me is just is mind blowing, you know. So I can imagine you having thirty pairs. I'm on my first pair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So now that is actually that's my. Oh, that's exciting for you, man! I heard it was coming out. When's the when's it yeah. supposed to drop? No, well, thank you. So uh, you know, as as we said, COVID has kind of messed things up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's uh, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 probably looking October, but I don't mind if it gets pushed back until December or even even January, if I'm honest, so that we have a clear run. But I've got like. I'm just waiting to just get into stuck into a campaign and, and, and get it out myself, you know. So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's exciting times. Yeah, it's Thank you. Speaking of 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 LS, um you featured them heavily in um your current issue of Sneaker Freak. Let me just put that on the screen for the people. Um Ooh. and uh you had you had an interview in there with um our very own Cali Vegas. How 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 did that come about and, and how how was that? Oh, it's good to get one of the proper OGs in the mag again, you know, um, as someone who's, you know, I've followed him on Instagram and, you know, I finally got to meet him when I came over for the uh, LS workshop um, in London. So um, just to spend a few hours with him that afternoon was really cool. And to get him in the mag and to bring his knowledge out, um, you know, he's an interesting dude from an interesting background. And I just love that era of shoes because, you know, we're not that dissimilar. So Mm. I think, uh, you know, if you come up from that period, compared to now, you just have a much more eclectic range of sort of influences. So, yeah. I mean, he has probably 15 obscure brands that most kids haven't heard of. Some of them don't exist anymore. So yeah. Yeah. his knowledge of like how the hood works in relation to, and the fact that he loves tennis mm-hmm. and he's not yeah. just a Jordan head, I think is one of the coolest, thing, coolest yeah. things about Ali for sure. So yeah, it was nice to finally get him in the mag. I mean, there's lots of times when his, his knowledge would have come in really handy, but mm. yeah, I've got it here actually. So that yeah. was the, that was the history piece for a lesson. Yeah. You know, it's strange. I, I didn't always love history at school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of a bit weird to be, or a bit pointless to be talking about something that happened 400 years ago or 200 years ago. Yeah. But 
writing the history of brands and mm. the sort of set the which is sort of the history of sneaker culture in a way. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen the ultimate sneaker book, yes. um, really that is the history of mm-hmm. uh, sort of a lot of the content in there is really sort of telling you where everything came from. Mm. And from a lesser's point of view, you know, just the fact that the original founder, his name is, his initials are LS. LS, yeah. Uh, it's like a nice little touch that a lot of people don't know. So, yeah. you know, and the fact that he's um, really into ski wear, I mean, mm. some of the, some of the um, amazing stuff the girls used to wear in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. you know, like fluoro lycra and suits and the ski wear, really stretchy pants is what yeah. made him famous. And then, That's it. like, I was a huge tennis dude in the 90s. So, mm. Boris Becker. Yes. Um, Vilas, all those guys. And I know Kelly's really into it as well. Mm. But that's an amazing era of big personalities when tennis was huge. So yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a great legacy for the brand as well. No, 100%. And, and that's, that's what got me, well, me and Steve, my mum loved Boris Becker, you know, and that's what my, my whole shoe was designed on, on that because when he won in 85, that jacket he was wearing, the less jacket he was wearing with the, the, uh, the gold cup, that's what I done my shoe on, like a light blue and a dark blue shoe, you know. Um, and yeah, tennis, tennis, I think a lot of people don't understand that tennis was like the original, like culture, if I, if that makes any sense, like the, the stuff that tennis, the trainers that tennis players used to wear was, was the elitist because back then tennis was the elite sport, the individual elite sport, you know? So when I tell a lot of my friends who are a lot younger than me, I'm like, nah, it was about tennis. They're like, no, nah, it's about football. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, it was, it was tennis back in the day. So. Some of them are like looking at me crazy, but, but yeah. Well, I think as well for me, I mean, I could never watch NBA mm-hmm. um, when I was a kid, um, but Wimbledon was always on. You yeah. know, that was one way to check in and see professional sports. So, mm-hmm. and on a Saturday, there was a show called uh, Wide World Sports, mm-hmm. and they would show even things like two minutes of wrestling highlights. And that, unless you had a VHS cassette yeah. or something that was old, or like, or unless someone went to the US and brought back yes. you know, a bunch of cassettes or something. You had no idea what was going on. And even in the paper, you know, the news just, you couldn't go online and find out what happened. But tennis, you know, four times a year, you'd be able to watch That's what's all, up. The, all the opens and see what, who was wearing what. And I think, you know, it's so interesting if you look at the brands around that time, you know, mm-hmm. Nike has Agassi and Lendl, uh, Nike yeah. and um, McEnroe and Agassi. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Adidas has, uh, uh, you know, guys who are really reserved mm-hmm. and thoughtful and, you know, totally the opposite. So it says so much about the brands, you know, they, mm-hmm they hired people that they wanted to reflect back on who mm. the brands wanted to be. So in Les's case, you know, Vilas is probably like the best example. He's like yeah. a, you know, eighties playboy. Yeah. <laughs> handsome and kind of macho strutting around with his headband. Mm. You know, mm. he was really cool. I yeah. don't know if you see the same thing quite today. And I think, you know, their shoes were quite accessible. You could still buy them in sports stores and wear them. Indeed. Today, you know, they've evolved to a point of view where, you know, tennis shoes aren't that, socially acceptable to wear like they look for weird some of the Federer shoes have been really nice and um oh yeah the fed yeah he's done all right yeah, he's done, yeah. But for the most part people don't know the names of any tennis shoes at the moment it's kind of yeah. gone past that point. yeah yeah and i think that's that's probably you know why i'm i'm happy that um unless is bringing back the tanker you know i haven't you're you're you done it you designed one as well right i i don't think i've seen that you know have i seen your one yeah i did a really nice one it came mm. out really nice i did a mostly gray one but i used the sort of those color pops from that era. And then um, I put the semi parlor logo really big on the tongue. Okay. Bit, so yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty strong look, but 
yeah, just, that's probably one of the nicest shoes. And also, yeah, um, Kelly says in his article, you know, it's, it is quite a um, mm. like a um, pivotal design in that in that era in terms mm. of being influential as well for yeah for tennis shoes. Yeah, no, no, it's true. Um, okay, so 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 moving moving on. Um, tell us about your your April. You do you guys do some amazing April Fools uh, articles, and some of your April Fools articles have actually gone to the point where other. I'm not going to mention any names, but other websites and publications, they report them like it's actually real. What made you guys come up with that? Well, I kind of wish April happened every second month because it's, <laughs> it's one of the times we really look forward to. And I think, um, uh-huh. I think, I mean, I always try to, you know, have sneaker freak, have not just a point of view, but have a sense of humor about um, what we're doing. I think, you know, for a lot of kids, I can understand, you know, kids, when you're young, you know, you, you take something so seriously that you can't take the piss out of it. But mm. the Australian sense of humor is very similar to the English. You know, it's mm. uh, if you love something, the greatest accolade you can pay it is to sort of Fair. try and tear it apart somehow, or, you know, yeah. at least deconstruct it in some way. So mm. I think sneaker culture, you know, can be really um, pompous and sort of, yeah. you know, very inward looking. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, you know, it, it, just, it needs a bit of skewering a little mm. bit. Um, mm. And April, April 1st is always something we look forward to. Um, it's not always easy to find that magical combination, but it has to be sort of believable, but mm. so outlandish that if, you, that if you do believe it, you've been totally fooled. And I think yeah. that's, the, that's the great yardstick for like what mm. makes a great April Fool's one. So mm. um, probably the biggest one we did was the Yandy release where we, yeah. <laughs> we cut up a pair of Yeezys and put a memory stick inside it and said that yeah. that was the only way to get the album is that the... It's hidden inside shoes, and if you ever needed a like a an example of how the internet is such a magical, beautiful, frustrating uh, thing, it was watching that kind of information go out because it just spread like crazy. Mm. Uh, I think four hours later, someone someone put someone had mocked up the memory stick and was trying to sell it on eBay for twenty thousand dollars. Oh no! Uh, you know, it became a meme for sort of yeah. two or three days. Mm-hmm. You know, it just became something that other people sort of. Okay. Joined in the joke. Yeah, I've never understood why people, you know, see an April Fool's joke and they're like, because we always tag it AFD or something. There's usually mm-hmm. it's quite obvious. Yeah, um, yeah. But people say, oh, April Fools, you know. So we have to delete those comments from social because it's like, yeah, we know you get it, but yeah, just but let the people who haven't got it, like let yeah. them kind of be fooled, you know. And gotcha. then they work out they've been kind of had. Gotcha. But a lot of times in the industry, you know, this is one I love it too. People in the industry should know better. Mm. Um, Email me like a day or two later said, man, you really got me. I had no idea that you guys <laughs> made that up. So the Andy one was really good. Um, we had Khaled had a, a Jordan made out of his like burgundy tracksuit with a little gold key. A lot of, a lot of details. So different people write them here and we all contribute as a group. And we try and just fill the story with like just really intricate details. So uh, this year we did a... Uh, uh, it was the 50th anniversary of the superstar, so we said that um, Adidas was putting them in a can, um, <laughs> and they would be preserved for another 50 years, and you could wear them when they're 100. Oh, it's called Canadas. Oh. And uh, I even created like a really bad PowerPoint display that you could download from a link. And I just looked at it before, actually, funnily enough, and there was like mm-hmm. I think nearly 400 people downloaded it. So, oh my god, really? It's quite interesting looking, but you start to build up the story. So it's on mm. some on some of them, we've uh, like like the Yeezy uh, Yandy one, mm-hmm. we created uh, fake Instagram accounts and linked back to them. And, oh. and that one, 
that got like 20,000 followers in the first day. Really? So, anyway, it's just, it's just funny gaming the internet sometimes. And, yeah, it's amazing. You know, creating something that doesn't exist and making, but usually there's, there's got to be a point to it as well. Mm. You know, there has to be, you can't just say things like, oh, Nike bought Adidas or something. There's no yeah. point doing that. Yeah, yeah. That's just, there has yeah. to be a reason for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, apart from the April Fools, you guys being a magazine, you guys get a lot of things very early. Um, have you guys ever got into trouble with the brands because of maybe something that you guys wrote or do you guys give your, your, your own opinion and you just don't really care what the brands think? Yeah. I mean, it's a fairly, it's an ongoing uh, situation. I think, um, I think if you look at the natural evolution of, of sneaker freaker and other titles like hype beast, high snob, a lot of other people that started around our time mm-hmm. were quite opinionated at the start. Mm. And then once you start playing the game of, you know, expecting corporate support, you start, have to start modifying what you say. So mm-hmm. I don't believe we've ever said anything we don't believe, mm-hmm. but we tend, to, we tend to just talk about the stuff we want to, that we like. Mm-hmm. So that's the first point. But second of all, you know, there's always ways to say things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think if you've got an opinion at the moment, you know, that there's very little tolerance of it. And it's a shame because I wish there was more critical analysis of things like i mean uh there's a piece in uh, the most recent issue mm-hmm. um talking about the way nike's been treating the air force one recently <laughs> that's, a matter, that's a matter pretty close to my heart and it is kind of sad but you know i don't know why they can't just do nice materials good colors mm-hmm. and just keep that true what it is but mm-hmm. they've really tried to connect it to a, a super young audience and mm-hmm. they keep gluing shit to the heel and sticking <laughs> and swooshes on it and cutting it up and I mean, they've made it look like a moccasin. They've done all sorts of stuff. And Mm. to me, that's a shoe that should be, you know, it was always, it was never advertised. You know, it was sacrosanct. You don't with something like that. Yeah. But that's what's happened. And um, yeah, from my point of view, it's a shame. Mm. Um, But, you know, as as with everything, you've got to get into the nuances. And there's still a way to have an opinion and still be heard. Mm. But you just can't come out and slam the people that we're trying to, we're trying to work with, unfortunately. So Mm. you've got to kind of navigate your way through it. But, we get told off a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, usually because, I mean, there's a lot of kids leaking images that mm. have got connections, I think, to the factories mm. in Asia um, or wherever they're made. Everybody loves to get a photo or, I mean, it's, you know, there's so many leaks mm. and we try and sit on the fence a bit if we can't verify where it came from. Yeah. But if we're, to- if we're in the discussions with a brand about a project or we know some information, you know, we don't post it because we respect that also from a collaboration point of view, there's nothing worse when your own project's leaked. Yeah. So we, totally, I personally totally know what it feels like mm. to have someone come out with a photo and that can be, you know, if a really bad photo gets out of your shoe, you yeah. can sink it right from the start. Oh, Because people can get over that first image. So that's happened to us a couple of times. Indeed. So you might have worked on something for a year and a half and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's gone. You know, you can't get it back because... Oh, wow first impression is a, isn't a good one. So, you know, we, we don't knowingly kind of post stuff um, if we know it's going to upset our partners mm. or even, even the stores in particular. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's a fine line. You know, we want to bring the news and talk about what's happening, mm. but we don't want to piss anyone off. Yeah, no, I, I, to- I totally had that. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like, I, I get in trouble a lot. 
<laughs> online, okay, you know, I think, um, you know, going back to kind of bringing the comical aspect, when I, when I said I'm coming to a lot of the, the sneaker events, I said I'm going to dress up with a, a crown and a robe, and that offended people so much, <laughs> you know, but people didn't know, I was just taking, I was just, I was just joking around, but I didn't realise people get so offended every, every couple Days, someone says something bad who does he think he is that type of thing so I'm like I just love it to be fair <laughs> you know, so. so you stopped right you kind of got sensed you feel like you were under yeah. pressure to- well no no <laughs> I still I still bring out the, the crown and robe it's just that I don't it's, I don't have to no more if that makes any sense because I feel for me it was you know um, obviously the, the, the nickname and stuff like that but it was more a look, I used to go to these events and a lot of the young kids would try to tell me about trainers. Like, and I was like, I'm an old man. Even though I look young, I'm an old man. Like, you can't tell me about trainers. So what I did was I, I used the whole crown and robe to get the kids to come to me. And then, because it kind of, you know, when, when a kid sees that, they kind of have to respect you, if that makes any sense. So then they listen to what you, you're saying rather than then giving their opinion when they, you know, they don't probably know about a particular shoe and stuff like that. So it was a it was a gimmick. And that gimmick just turned into its own little person and and it just went crazy. You know, so yeah. So, speaking of events, you guys have a, a swap shop, right? It's a sneaker meet. Yeah, here. we call this the swap meet, yeah. Mm. Um, I think it was the first event of its kind in the world. I don't as far as I know, I haven't haven't been able to find anyone that did it earlier, but mm-hmm. we did it in um, yeah, we did it in 2003, I think. Yes. Um, say how long ago it was. I, one of the main things I remember, and someone reminded me of this recently, that people were just walking around smoking uh, <laughs> at the event. And then afterwards, people went home and realized that all their shoes smelled of cigarettes because it was like a party. Okay. There were, maybe, there were maybe a couple of hundred people there. Mm. Uh, we found a vacant building in the city here in Melbourne. And, uh, and I don't know, it was just a really novel sort of thing to do. Mm. Um, we called it the swap meet because I used to go to computer swap meets and buy stuff. There were toy ones. There were, you know, yeah. they've been around in various different kind of um, uh, genres. And we thought we should do a sneaker one. Mm-hmm. Um, never commercialized it. We very rarely had sponsors. Mm. It's always been free. And mm. to us, it's just a way of like bringing the community together for a day. Gotcha. And Melbourne has a really amazing tradition of subcultures and, and, and kind of little groups. And I have to say, of all the cities I've been to, it's probably the one where they mix together really well. In some places you go, it's so parochial and tribal that if this person's putting on the party, the other groups won't come and yeah. you know, it, gets, it gets a little bit tender. Um, and some of the retailers really hate each other in different cities as well. In Melbourne, everyone seems to get along. They might not, they might not rate everyone who's there, but yeah. still, they're able to put all that aside and come together for the event. And um, I mean, I think our, our events now, we're getting five, 6,000 people through in a day. Wow. And, you know, that's one of the things we haven't been able to do this year is, is do that event. And mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, we see kids coming, you know, they used to come at 15 or 16 and now they're coming at 10 or 11. So we're seeing our audience from a young age yeah. and over four or five years, you almost remember these kids because they come up and yeah. they start talking to you, as you said. And then a few years later, you realize suddenly yeah. a little, little, men you know yeah. or on being yeah. an adult and then they're off mm. and so it's a way i think it's a really important part of what we do is it gives that younger generation a way to kind of interact mm. with the culture on a day rather than just staring at their phone and telling me that this shoe's worth this on stock x or whatever 
Yeah. You know, it's such a, it's such a sort of a, um, um, you know, money obsessed sort of way. For our event is not about it's money not a, and selling shoes, huge amounts of money. It's just a, yeah. a day for everyone to sort of come together and hang out. No, and that's what it is. I, I think that that part of the, the, the whole culture has been lost a bit, you know, the real human interaction. And, and that's where, I, you know, I'm, I, I love the, I love the internet. I love Instagram, but I think, social media's taken took that away a little bit where people that don't they don't actually want to meet each other they're just like you know like someone's picture from afar and, and not even meet up so you know i still think, I think the frustrating thing now is that everything's got a price on it it's so so yeah. transactional so mm. i've got this many likes i'm paying this much money yeah. um you know i'm flip you know like i've never been offended by reselling mm. but the scale that it, which it's done right now is out of control so for the average kid who takes 10 L's in a row because, you know, and then you see some, some punk who's sitting there surrounded by 50 pairs of shoes yeah. and you know, he didn't get them. He didn't get them uh, legitimately. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, like these hookups, I mean, the reason I started sneaker freaker is to get free shoes and I mm. still love getting a free pair of shoes, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't abuse it and I certainly don't try and get 50 pairs of one shoe and just sit there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, the prices on things now still blow my mind. I don't know who's buying, some of the stuff for the prices that are quoted, but uh-huh. there's, yeah. there's better things to spend money on than, you know, I mean, those, those Dior Jordans are twenty to $30,000. So. Did you get, did you get a pair? No. No. <laughs> it's not your thing. Well, I was more, I was more than happy to have a pair. Uh, okay. We put it on the cover. Yeah. Uh, and actually that cover has been really interesting. So we've mm. got some, got some um, discussions happening with some of the bigger, European uh, luxury companies who've seen that cover and I think it's opened their eyes to who we are and okay. everything else. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But um, mm-hmm. no, I didn't get a pair of the, I don't know if I'm in the target age bracket anymore for the yeah, no, program. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest though, I, I did get caught in a hype and, and by me getting caught in a hype, it, it got me into a bit of trouble uh, because I said oh. that, I said that I'll give, if someone can't afford the retail, I will buy the shoe and then give someone, give people a little bit on top who can't afford the retail. Then people actually came, people shared it in the forums and came to my page saying, I'm taking advantage of the poor. I'm like, but they can't afford the retail anyway. <laughs> so it's not my fault. But you know, you know how it goes. Re- well, did they, someone told me, were there 5 million people put their name down? Is that actually yeah, true? Yeah, 5 million, yeah, 5 million yeah. for 8,000 pairs. You know, so it, it literally went crazy because normally the Selfridges, well, especially in the UK, the Selfridges website, um, it was supposed to like open for a week. Apparently it was open for a week to, for signups. It closed within six hours because they had reached their quota. Like it was too many signups. So, you know, it just goes to show. And well, I guess that's, you know, that's the best example of how big this yeah. sort of thing become. Yeah. But, you know, out of those 5 million people, I would say, there's probably four million nine hundred thousand that just dreamed of flipping it and, and taking a hundred you know, percent. I don't know, but if yeah. that, you know, if that's all this whole sneaker things become, then I think that's pretty. It's pretty sad. It's just very sad. I'm not surprised. Mm. You know, Nike's trying to create a new system where you know that sort of stuff doesn't happen. But no one's ever been able to find a solution to get those shoes to the people who want them because yeah. there is no way. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. You talk to any of the retailers who are trying to deal with the demand on this stuff. No, it's crazy. It's a nightmare for them. You it's know, crazy. They, yeah. they don't they don't like having to upset everybody. They right. don't like the retailers 
rating them with bots and multiple fake accounts and all the rest. But yeah, it's just nuts how big it's become. This is actually crazy. I mean, I know Offspring, I, I, they try their best to do some sort of systems and stuff, you know, so they do try, but it, it is, it's tough. I've spoken to a lot of retailers about it and they're, they're, they're suffering right now on how to, how to manage it, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the challenge as well is that, you know, the collaborations and the hype stuff was meant to create a favourable glow for yeah. GRs or whatever, you know, like for new shoes to come through. Yeah. But it's sort of not doing that anymore. Like the system's sort of broken. It's just, it exists only for its, you know, for its own use. Yeah. So, you know, like there's some amazing new shoes coming out. The yeah. ACG Antarctic, mm. uh, some of the ISPA stuff is really cool, mm. but there's no hype behind it. So unless... Well, I guess, you know, I guess that's a good thing for people like us who actually want to shoot. Want to shoot. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. good, yeah. Mm. But it's frustrating for me that it's not really about design, you mm. know, because that's the mentality that I started Sneaker Freaker with. Yeah. I love seeing weird shit. You know, mm. when I look back on some of the more interesting stuff we've written about, mm. the more interesting shoes sometimes never make it off the drawing board at brands because they're too weird or yeah. too interesting. I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen some mad shit yeah. on someone's desk. I go, what's up with that? And they go, uh, yeah, no one liked it, or there was no business model, or oh, it was too expensive the fabrication or whatever. Yeah. And that's why it's frustrating to me as a as a sort of a purist. I want mm-hmm. I want that crazy to see the light of day and yeah. for people to love it. And, uh, that's not how the world works right now. And that's how it was back in the day. It was about pushing technology forward because when you when in the, in the early nineties, it was about Nike the the air bubble and then making the air bubble bigger and and more, and then they changed it to one eighty, and then you get what I mean. And but I just feel that. That, I don't know. I mean, I do like what Nike are doing with the whole adapt stuff and, and all that, and they're trying to push things, but a lot of it's been lost in, in where, how I grew up, because it was about the biggest bubble, the best technology, but now it's about, oh, whose name is attached, you know, so, you know. Well, I think as well, I mean, Nike always said they don't, they're not a fashion brand. Yeah. Um, and I remember a long time ago, I was told not to use the word fashion in a meeting when I was down there, so... <laughs> Um, and I, I certainly can't say that now because yeah. I mean some of the new shoes are certainly not purely for sport, mm. sport at all. Mm. Uh, in fact, you could argue that Air Max has never really been a runner, um, except for maybe the first, the first model. So, yeah. um, you know, we've sort of gone so far down the kind of crazy fashion thing with huge midsoles, mm. uh, antelevered kind of things, and mm. some really crazy stuff. But you know, that Alpha Fly is so exciting. I yeah. saw that pair in the flesh for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Mm. It's the most crazy looking thing. Um, I love seeing something like that. I might not be able to wear it myself because I'm, you know, sort of, I feel like I'm trying to be Peter Pan a little bit too much, but as an object, I mean, it's an incredible piece of modern sculpture in its own right. No, that's fantastic. No, um, no, Woody, I just want to thank you so much for, for speaking to me. Um, before we go, you said it's coming up to your 20th anniversary. Is there anything you can share with us that's coming? Well, uh, I know people loved our most recent book, The Ultimate Sneaker Book. Um, We will have the second version of that out uh, by the end of the year. Wow. We have two more books coming, um, one next year and the one the year after, Mm -hmm. that are all kind of um, connected. Um, Yeah, we've got a few. I'm looking at a sample here that I can't show you online. but Oh, man. Coming soon. Hang on. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. That might have been quick and maybe not quick enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're always working on stuff. It's uh, mm-hmm. 
it's just you know you're just tempting fate if you talk about it uh, yeah, I understand. too much at the time. But um, yeah, at the moment, uh, you know, everything's on hold, and we're hoping that uh, you know all our connections all around the world, everyone's on top of their game, and you know, 2021 is uh, a better year for everybody. This is a yeah. this has uh, been a year like no other, and yeah. Um, yeah, I'm hoping now 20 year anniversary, 2022, mm-hmm. um, we'll have a lot of really cool projects for people to see. No, fantastic. No. Well, no, I just want to say thank you. You're a real legend in the game um, and a very, very um, humble guy. With all your success and being internationally uh, uh, respected, you know, um, you even taking the time to do this with me has been a real honour. So I'm I'm so grateful for that. Um, Oh, it's always good to talk, man. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Good luck for your projects yourself and uh, I'll hopefully (laughs) see you in London soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you.